Welcome back to First Draft, the only show dedicated exclusively to the NFL Draft because Mel Kuyper Jr. created this industry. Mel, good morning, my friend. Good morning, Phil. We've got a Super Bowl coming up, but we got a lot of draft talk today. That's, all, that's what people want to hear about. So we haven't covered a couple positions, and I thought this week yeah. we could get into maybe a little bit of that, some things that we, we haven't touched on much during these podcasts. Got a lot of work to do between now and late April. But And you have your Mach 1.0 coming out Wednesday, which we're all looking forward to. Phil, I know you're fine-tuning that as we speak while you're in Vegas. You know, check with yeah. all your contacts, all your buddies out there to try to get that late information on Mach 1.0, Phil. Yeah, I'm doing my best here, Mel. You say that we're all looking forward to Mach 1.0. Maybe yeah. everybody but me. Everybody but me, right? Because there's a lot of pressure here. You know, I've been I've only uh, rewritten my top 10 19 times. So uh, seems reasonable, right? I mean, it's only my first mock draft for ESPN in professional capacity. So no pressure here. Uh, but I do feel like there is, well, obviously there's plenty of attention being paid to the Super Bowl. And we're going to talk about the Chiefs and the 49ers and potential needs at picks 31 and 32 in just a moment. Mel, it is cool to see, like, Radio Row, as you know, is filled with people not just from San Francisco and Kansas City, but there are markets all across the country that are here right now in Vegas, and a lot of people want to talk draft because the fan bases of the other 30 teams are already focused on the offseason, which of course is underway in full just about four days from right now for when you and I are talking. But you mentioned other positions. We're going to dive into safeties today. Interesting safety class here, Mel. Maybe a first rounder, maybe not. We'll dive into that in just a little bit. But let's start at the top with the Chiefs and the 49ers. They have a game to play on Sunday. We're not trying to look past the Super Bowl, but we can do a little bit of a future forecast. Let's begin with, I'll flip a coin, land on San Francisco. As you examine the possibilities of pick 31 and 32, what kind of areas stand out that San Francisco might need to fine-tune this offseason? I like think the 49ers, you look, they always go heavy defensive line. They made the move for Chase Young. Chase Young hasn't really developed and given them the impact opposite Nick Bosa, you would have hoped. Yeah, I think Ken lost the free agent. So you think maybe they're always defensive line centric, but certainly I think right tackle, a little bit upgrade over Colton McKivitz. You think about where they could go there. Marius Mims from Georgia was the tackle that I gave them at the end of the first round in my Mach 1.0 a few weeks ago field. So I think you know, in the trenches for San Francisco, could add a wide receiver at some point as well, but that offensive tackle spot, right tackle spot, and the defensive line for San Francisco, I think are a couple areas they could address. Yeah, Mel, I was going to say, I hate to take the easy way out, but March always sort of impacts April. We talk about that all the time, but it really impacts April more so for the teams at the back end of the first round, because the reality of teams at the top of the board, right? Like it's going to be very hard for New England, Washington, teams with picks three and two to fill all of their needs in free agency. We know they're going to need, they're still going to need to address like offensive tackle and quarterback in New England, offensive tackle and quarterback in Washington. For San Francisco and Kansas City, some of this is going to depend upon things that take place, like players that they release because of cap constraints or players that they add in free agency. But I keep coming back to the offensive line as well for San Francisco. And you mentioned Demarius Mims in your first round mock draft. We feel like the strength of this offensive tackle class is good enough that 31 or 32 could present like a legitimate, like ready-made starter too, right, Mel? Yeah, I think there's no question. We have eight or nine field. And then they get into the guys that can move maybe inside to the guard spots. So some flexibility they they provide. Uh, the, obviously, you think about interior linemen, center guards as well. But I think in terms of the right tackle position, Fuaga coming out of Oregon, say, where is he going to fall? You know, I had him yeah. way up there. And people said he got him too high. And now he's kind of settling infield in the middle of the first round. I'll be curious to see where you have Fuaga from Oregon State in your Mach 1.0. So Tyler Guyton, the kind of guy you see – yeah, potential. You see development. You see what he could be. It's not what he is. It's what he could be. So you look at what he is, you push him down just a bit. If you have the ability to project and say, I have a lot of confidence that there's going to be an offensive line coach who's going to get Tyler Guyton and craft him into a Pro Bowl caliber right tackle. So maybe Tyler Guyton gets a bump up from what we saw on tape to what maybe could be in another couple of years. So there's a lot of those guys in this draft. So I think it could fall where one of those drops down, maybe a Marius Mims, who we thought would be yeah. this year's Broderick Jones, but the injury prevented that from happening. So he didn't get into the top 10, top 15, but he certainly is right off of that. And one of these guys, like I said, could maybe drop into the late first round. You know, I'm going to use Kansas City to make a point about San Francisco. Uh, and, you know, obviously the draft is, is you know, so much of a, so much of our focus is on things that could help a team for this upcoming year. The other reality for San Francisco and Kansas City is that they are often looking a year or two or 
I guess, occasionally three in advance as well. So I'm glad that you mentioned a couple of other spots because offensive tackle is not just the need for the potential of a right tackle upgrade, Mel, but I have no information on this. I'm just using my logic here. Trent Williams is in his mid-30s. If the 49ers win on Sunday, what more is there for Trent Williams to accomplish as a player? I'm not saying the guy is going to walk away, but we know that like the end is probably closer to the than it is to we are closer to the end than we are the beginning for Trent Williams. So it might be that they're forecasting a year or two ahead in the event they no longer have Trent under contract. And you mentioned wide receiver, which you know the team obviously has a terrific one-two duo between Debo Samuel and also Brandon Ayuk. Debo is under contract for multiple years beyond this season, but Ayuk enters his fifth year in 2024, which is the final year of his rookie deal. I'm sure the team would love to get a deal done with Brandon Ayuk, who's scheduled to make around $14 million next season now. But one of the realities with San Francisco is that we talk all the time about the strength of this roster, right? I mean, this roster is absolutely loaded on both sides of the ball. One of the I guess, problems, if you will, about having so much talent is eventually guys can't all be kept. So if they felt like they weren't going to be able to keep Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, two big hefty wide receiver contracts with all the other great players they have, maybe they would get ahead of Brandon Ayuk's free agency in 2025 by addressing wide receiver in 2024. Last position that I'll mention, Mel, is pass rusher, right? They obviously made a couple of trades during the season, Randy Gregory and also Chase Young. You mentioned how Chase obviously hasn't necessarily provided big returns. I can see them going there, but it doesn't feel like there's a ton of depth at pass rusher, Mel. It's going to be readily available right around pick 31 or 32 that could be an instant impact player. Exactly. For them, maybe Chop Robinson, we'll see where he falls coming out of Penn State. But to the wide receiver point field, you know, you got a couple guys that maybe could be there. And I always try to throw a curveball in that old Kuiper stunt in the late first round. I'll tell you right, right now, right. I'll, give you, I'll give you a preview to Mach 2.0 for me field, which comes out towards the end of February. I'm going to have Ladd McConkey right in that mix. Yeah. Ladd McConkey to me was a plug and play guy. We know about the injury this year, but he's going to run great. Uh, he certainly catches everything. He's quick. He's explosive. He's dynamic. He, he's, he's a phenomenal player. So Ladd McConkey for the 49ers, even the Chiefs, both those teams could be looking yeah. at him because then you get into, okay, Xavier Leggett thought maybe he could be late one, early two. So he's borderline, right? Keon Coleman, what's he going to run coming out of yeah. Florida State? That's some quiet games, right? But he, yeah, he's talented. He has a great catch radius. The contested situations, he'll go get it. Had a couple of drops late, uncharacteristic concentration drops. But what does he run to solidify that first round opportunity for him? But I think McConkey, to me, Troy Franklin, Oregon's a speed merchant, can get down the field, vertical stretch guy, right, with the length. He's a, put some weight on that frame, get a little stronger, but he's the kind of guy who was taking the top off of defense on a regular basis for Bo Nix at Oregon. So I think the wide receiver position is going to provide some opportunities in the late first round for the 49ers and the Chiefs. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Mel. And just to, to put that that point into a little bit more context, or a little more, add, little more added context to it, is that uh, all these wide receivers present a different skill set, but it does feel like when you're picking somewhere in that like 25 to 32 range, it's all teams that need a guy who can contribute right away, right? And Lad McConkey feels like the day you add him to your roster, he's ready to go. There might be other wide receivers in this class that present a higher ceiling during later points of their career, but they might need a redshirt season or a half of a redshirt season, whereas Lad. I don't know if his ceiling is quite the same as some of the guys who are bigger than him, right? Matt is not going to blow you away with his size, but I think he's ready to go right now and contribute rather quickly. That could be appealing to a team that feels like its window is right now and can't afford to wait. All right, so from San Francisco to Kansas City we go. Uh, obviously, the champs are familiar drafting in this spot mill. They did so last year at pick 32, and their first-round pick has been a healthy scratch for much of this year. So a reminder, you're not always drafting for just the year ahead. But if you look at Kansas City, what are some of the areas that you believe this team needs to address? Yeah, Felix, I know Uzoma had some moments early, but then, like you say, he didn't get a lot of playing time. You think about, you know, Chamari Connor, safety from Virginia Tech, showed some promise. Yep. Certainly Rice was outstanding as a rookie, gave them that impactful performance that they had to have, because guess what? It can't just all be Kelsey. And it, 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 certainly uh, he's provided Rice uh, for Patrick Mahomes a really good option in that passing game and uplifted them a lot in some of those key games. I think you look at where we are right now, there's some free agents on the defensive line field that you'll speak to, uh, areas they could address there, but they went for the defensive end last year. Defensive tackle, 
could be a bit of an issue moving forward with some free agency. Wide receiver to me, they went for it and hit with, uh, with Rice in the second round. They could certainly go back to that with McConkie, Troy Franklin, somebody like that. I want to see where Brian Thomas Jr. from LSU goes. I mean, he was mm-hmm. the other receiver opposite Malik Neighborsfield. He had the one year this year where he put it all together. He did more than this year than he did the two previous years combined. 17 is the magic number. 17 touchdown receptions, 17-yard average per catch. He was outstanding. Now he's still developing. He's still a guy that needs a little more polish. But Brian Thomas Jr., with that length, catch radius, production, with neighbors at LSU with Jaden Daniels getting him the football, where does Brian Thomas Jr. fall? I'm curious. The way feel. That's one I'm going to be looking at. Your mock, you have him based you've heard, you know about that. Because that will be a little bit as to where these other receivers come off the board. Yeah, it will be really interesting now. I think so. Wide receiver to me screams like potential first round need for the Kansas City Chiefs for all the reasons that you just laid out. And it's a miracle, Mel. And I'm not trying to be, um, you know, I would say hyperbolic or, or exaggerating when I said like it's a miracle in some ways that this Chiefs team offensively has accomplished what it has when you think about the inconsistency at wide receiver, right? Like, if not for Rasheed Rice, where is this season? And by the way, for much of the first half of the season, Rasheed Rice was not nearly the player that he has become, but you can count on these things going into 2024. At wide receiver, Rasheed Rice. That's the whole list of wide receivers that you can count on for Kansas City right now. We'll see what it looks like for Sky Moore, who, by the way, was activated off of IR yesterday, but nearly two full seasons in, hasn't necessarily answered all the questions for him. Marquez Valdez-Scantling has a very specific role, Mel, but you know, he's like a 9 or $10 million per year player who's had some key moments, obviously, in this year's playoffs, but not a consistent player for this Chiefs offense. And I mentioned how when you have a lot of good players in your roster, you're going to have to make some difficult cap decisions. Wouldn't surprise me if Marquez Valdez-Scanling is one of those guys whose contract becomes a conversation this offseason. And up until, and I know that people right now are remembering the Chiefs offense that we have seen from basically like week 17 on, which was when they played Cincinnati. It was the final regular season game that Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey played in because they sat out in week 18. They have all of a sudden started to look much more like they were last year in terms of explosive plays. But last season now, without Tyree Kill, the Chiefs ranked first in 20 plus yard completions in the entire NFL. That, that dropped all the way to 14th this year. They need big play threats in this offense. And if Brian Thomas Jr. is somehow still there, the idea of him catching passes from Patrick Mahomes to go from Jaden Daniels to Patrick Mahomes is downright scary. Yeah. Downright scary. How about deep? Let's, let's vet that defensive tackle, defensive line conversation out a little bit further, though, Mel, because we have this, this defensive tackle class is kind of like, taken a couple of different shapes. There were times where it looked like it was going to be really good. There were times where it felt like maybe it wasn't living up to the expectations. But a pick 31 or 32, who could be some of the guys in the in the mix for Kansas City at that Well, spot? Johnny Newton, where is he going to fall from Illinois? I think it's going to be really interesting to see. I think you talk about uh, Byron Murphy the second from Texas. I'm a little higher on Byron Murphy the second, and I am. I like him, but I didn't see what some have said about top 10, top 15. I, I haven't seen that screen to me that Byron Murphy the second is that kind of guy. I like Tavondre Sweat as a guy who can be a good complimentary run-stuffing defensive tackle. I think he, he could drop second round, certainly field. I think he'll be a really good pick at that point. But some of the other guys didn't perform to the level expected. Braden Fisto, mm. Florida State, formerly of Western Michigan, did perform really well week in and week out. We talk about performance-based, production-based. Brayton Fisk is a hustler. He's active. He keeps offensive linemen on their toes. You better not take a playoff. You better not lack focus for a snap because Brayton Fisk will get you field, and he gets a lot of offensive linemen over the course of his career. He got a lot of them, and he did it to senior bowl practice. So I think Brayton Fisk is the kind of guy to look at in the second-round area, at worst, third round. I think to the point about what you were saying about Kansas City field, Patrick Mahomes, how he elevated this football team is amazing because we yeah. saw him was on Christmas with getting the handled at home by the Raiders. Okay. I mean, dominated really. They were never in that game. So you think about where we, we, how far we came. I go back to Denver when John Elway was leading the Broncos to Super Bowl after Super Bowl and getting blown out. And he said, well, what happened? Well, they shouldn't even have been there. He carried that team. Remember, we had some issues the sure Browns did. had with turnovers and just bad breaks that let Denver move on. The, the drive by John Elway. John Elway is one of my all time greatest quarterbacks. 
quarterbacks. Why? Because of what he did with a team that wouldn't have been close to the Super Bowl without him or the playoffs without him. Then he won two Super Bowls at the end of his career, not limping at the final Super Bowl, not being just a piece of the final Super Bowl. The MVP of the Super Bowl his final year was John Elway. Look at his numbers over those last two Super Bowl wins. They were outstanding. So for John Elway, that's why he's one of my greatest of all time. And I think Patrick Mahomes is one of the greatest of all time, certainly third overall right now, right, behind you know Tom Brady and Joe Montana. Why? Because he's taken this team to a place that nobody thought they could be. Based on what we saw at various stages of this team, this season field, did you ever think, and I know you had Kansas City over the 49ers back in August, that was a great call on your part. Did you at any point feel confident that the Chiefs were going to be landing in the Super Bowl in Vegas coming up this Sunday? I wanted to see if ESPN would let me like retroactively change my pick by like, you know, Thanksgiving now. I mean, this team was 11 and six, like in terms of inspiring confidence, like how can anybody say, I mean, other than the fact that they have Patrick Mahomes? And they have Andy Reid and they have Travis Kelsey. But like, I don't think anybody was sitting there shouting from the top of their lungs that Kansas City was looking like the team that had a real chance to snap the 20 year drought that we have in the NFL right now without a repeat champion. And yet they're like that boxer, Mel, right? They're the boxer that like, you just don't let that boxer have a chance. And until that boxer has been knocked down for the very final time, you cannot count that boxer out. And that's what the Chiefs remind me of this year. They have grit, they have determination, and they certainly have this uh, dynamic mail where they play their best when the stakes are at their very you know, highest. I was never as confident in the game. I was doing the Darian Mel show. I had the, the you know the Saturday before the game. Uh, when the Ravens were hosting Kansas City, I was like, no chance. Ra- Ravens are winning this football game. Now you get it in your mind. You get it in your mind that this is not gonna, this has got to be a win. Everything pointed to the Ravens winning that football game. And they didn't. Yep. So you go in, you play Miami, you beat Josh Allen in Buffalo, you beat Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, and here you are in the Super Bowl. I, I didn't think that was going to happen. I didn't think there was very little chance of that happening. I gave Kansas City hardly any chance to beat Baltimore. I said, in my mind, it was Baltimore all the way. They're playing the 49ers in the Super Bowl, and the 49ers fortunate to be there. Think about how they yeah. struggled. And here's where Vegas, Johnny Avello, with a, you know, a draft Kings is a good friend of mine. And Johnny in, yep. in Vegas, field, you're in Vegas, right? Vegas, in Vegas right knows, now. Field. Vegas knows, yeah. right? And if I asked you right now, passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. What do you think the line, like back when you were talking about, you know, audibleizing away from your Chiefs, right? And saying, I want somebody yeah. else. That, oh, in the Super Bowl, the Chiefs are going to get there. Okay, they're going to get there. And they're going to uh, beat all the odds. And the 49ers are going to struggle in a couple games at home that they were very fortunate to win. And the Chiefs are going to go on the road and beat the Bills and the Ravens. And the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, despite, as you say, issues, is a two-point underdog as we speak right now. It seems like Unbelievable Vegas, to me. Vegas, it seems like, is begging you, begging you to take the Chiefs. Begging no you to take it. the Chiefs. So yes. to me, when that happens, you're better off taking the Niners. We'll see how that all plays out. But the fact that Mahomes, who just doesn't lose in these types of spots, is a two-point underdog, uh, you know, tells you all you need to know. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this game plays out. A couple more spots for the Chiefs to keep an eye on in the draft, not just at the beginning, but also throughout the draft. You talked about the defensive line already. We talked about wide receiver already. 
Legarius Sneed is scheduled to become a free agent, Mel. And as you know, he has made himself a ton <laughs> of money this season. He has every week. <laughs> uh, I know, I know. Mel, I mean, he has, but that this goes beyond obviously just the incredible play in the AFC championship game, knocking the ball loose from Zay Flowers. There is not there are not a lot of teams that consistently deploy a shadow cornerback every single week where they just say, our number one is lining up opposite of your number one. The Chiefs are at the top of that list. They basically say whether it's a big-bodied receiver or a fast guy like Tyreek Hill, Legarius Sneed is going to man up against him. And he had like a, a streak of like 15 straight games without surrendering a touchdown as the primary defender in man-to-man coverage. So if he's gone, Mel, and it's going to be expensive to keep him, the Chiefs obviously have a lot of good players already under contract for 2024 and beyond. That makes cornerback a bigger need to me as well. And there are some guys that could be available, picks 31, 32, that I think certainly could become starters for Kansas City right away. I'll also offer up one more spot that I don't exactly know what to make of it, Mel, but it's offensive tackle. Yeah, Donovan Smith, going to be a free agent, their left tackle. They have Wanye Morris, who they drafted last year out of Oklahoma. Third round, third round pick, right? Uh, third round pick yeah, a year exactly. ago. Yeah. Who, who who's played, you know, has played meaningful snaps and has started games for them. He's got a chance to become a starter. But I don't know what happens with Jawan Taylor. Jawan Taylor, the right tackle ad last offseason, who his contract suggests he's borderline immovable. They may have no choice but to go back to the well with Jawan Taylor. Led the NFL in penalties, though, has, I don't think, necessarily lived up to that $20 million per year contract. Mm -hmm. So if the Chiefs ever moved on from Juwan Taylor, which, again, might just be financially incompatible, Mel, offensive tackle will be another spot that I think Kansas City and San Francisco could both hunt for 31-32. No question about it. Yeah, Morris, that third-round pick, you're right. He's going to be asked a lot there. And like I said, the penalties and the mistakes of those tackles haunted them, but it didn't prevent them from getting where they were. And they they dealt with Baltimore's uh, crowd noise where Houston couldn't, and there wasn't any pre-snap penalties in that game. And you mentioned the play, Sneed, with, with Zay Flowers making a heck of a play. It wasn't Zay's fault. It was just a heck of a play by Sneed. And then you think about Jones getting Dawkins to bump into Josh when he had that touchdown pass late. So they're, they're their key players at key moments stepped up big field. I think when you talk about the cornerback spot for Kansas City, Ennis Rakestraw Jr. from Missouri yeah. as a kid, you know, is going to fall somewhere in that area. And Jarvis Brownlee a Jr. from Louisville, formerly of Florida State, made yeah. a lot of big plays, made a ton of pass breakups, was really impactful for Louisville and had a good senior bowl week. Jarvis Brownlee Jr. from Louisville is the guy – I'm not going to say he's late one field, but I got to think he's somewhere in that second round mix. So he's a cornerback that people didn't pay a lot of attention to, should have. We were watching him. Everybody saw him at Florida State uh, show promise, and everybody saw him at Louisville really put it all together and really develop into one heck of a a lockdown cornerback. Man, if they got Ennis Rakestraw and kept him in the state of Missouri, Mel, that to me would be borderline unfair. You and I have have talked about him both on this show and I think off the show as well. Uh, Rakestraw, she just might be the most tenacious defensive back in the entire draft he is uh, I would say like uh, not quite Devin Witherspoon who last year was one of the more punishing cornerback prospects that I know you had studied in quite some time but there are some some hints of that Devin Witherspoon mentality within Ennis Rakestraw's game I don't think you or I believe he'll be there but in a world in which Cooper DeGene dropped to 31 or 32 mil that would be unfair too right that kid is a ready-made starter unbelievable athlete he might just crush the combine so much that there's no way he makes it to 31 32 but Cooper DeGene could be interesting for the Chiefs uh before we wrap on the Chiefs and the 49ers Mel and dive into the safety class mm-hmm. as we reflect backwards on this 2023 draft like what do you make of the impact that the 2023 draft has had on the two teams playing in the Super Bowl kind of frankly a mixed bag it was a mixed bag. You're right. I think, you know, we're still waiting, wait on Anu DK Uzoma, but you get the production from Rice. You get the Morris, you know, filled in. You get yep. Connor showing some promise. So you get a lot going on there. Jair Brown with the 49ers. Moody, the kicker, obviously filled in, had some inconsistent moments, but he was there for them. So not a lot. They didn't need a lot, but they got guys that were able to contribute. So I think some of these guys with programs like this, organizations like this, will be developed. And you'll be hearing about them down the line where you get the, what happened? What happened with these guys? Why were they off the radar? Why didn't they, they produce more? So some of these guys will, in the future, be more uh, prominent figures with these organizations. 
Yeah, totally. I feel like with San Francisco and Kansas City, um, but San Francisco maybe more specifically, Mel, because of the fact that they did not have a first-round pick mm-hmm. last year. Like, I felt like part of it, and they didn't have a second-round pick last year, by the way, either, right? Like, they kind of identified that other than Jake Moody, their kicker who they took in the third round, of course, as you mentioned, like, I don't think anybody that they drafted last season, Mel, did they feel like they needed, needed to be a standout starter this year in order for the roster to be complete, right? So I'm not trying to take them off the hook entirely. You're still going to make good on these guys you identify as developmental players. In Kansas City, though, like, I think they probably were feeling like if they could get one or two, you know, legitimate contributors right away, they'd be in business. And while, you know, I I think having a first round pick basically redshirting is not something that many teams can afford. Kansas City could. And Rasheed Rice by himself, Mel, like the impact that he's had over the second half of the season, to me, makes that entire draft almost worthwhile. Beyond the fact that he is a second round pick, which, you know, induces a little bit more margin for error than a first round pick, they traded up for him, right? Like, they, they said, we cannot afford to wait one more pick. We need to go up and get Rasheed Rice. So I appreciate and applaud the audacity the Chiefs showed last year in the draft to uh, make that bold move that ended up paying off, I think, in a significant way. He has a very good shot to be their top wide receiver for a long time going forward. All right, Mel. We ready to dive into some safeties? Oh, yeah. I know you want to talk safeties because – you know, Mel, it's not every year where we have a top 10 pick at safety or even a top 20 pick at safety, but I do feel like you and I have identified, we've got five we want to discuss at least, that we think are pretty darn good players as well. We can go in any order you want, but uh, the way we have them listed is, uh, we're going to start with Tyler Newbin, Minnesota safety, Mel. Uh, what do you make of the former Golden Gopher standout? What might be the range? What might be the skill set that he brings to the table? I look at production and impact plays. If you go into the safeties field, they better be guys that show up big. You go to all the, the safeties we look at in the NFL with the Minka Fitzpatrick had nine interceptions in a three-year period. Go to Kyle Hamilton, eight interceptions over three years. You see all the guys performing. Tyler Newbin is a guy who's been around, it seems like, forever. And this is a rarity field in college football to get a prospect who is a second-round pick probably who yep. is a five-year player. Keep in mind, COVID didn't count, right? But he played five full years of playing experience with the Minnesota Golden Gophers was Tyler Newbin, 6'2", 210 pounder, 12 picks over the last three years, uh, 13 in his career, uh, played, as I say, five seasons, the consistency, three, four, then five picks over the last three years. I'll tell you what, he processes, he diagnoses, he gets to the football, he doesn't hesitate coming downhill, makes his presence felt in run support. Uh, I think he's the number one safety right now. I thought Cameron Kinchins from Miami, of course, he had the injury early on. Then we remember the big yeah. hiccup against Georgia Tech where Christian Leary got behind him, Haynes King rolled out, play should have never happened, right? That game should have been over with Neil Downs as Tim Hasselbeck is still screaming, why aren't you kneeling down to Mario Cristobal? Uh, They didn't, and they let the the, basically the Hail Mary take place, and that crazy win that should never have happened, happened, and Cam Kenshin's let let Leary get behind him, Haynes King rolled out, hit him, touchdown game over. So I think when you look at Cam Kenshin, though, he did have that – production, the big play production during his career. I think he falls in as the second best safety behind Tyler Newbin from Minnesota. Okay, so let's start here. Tyler Newbin also, like, you talked about the production. It feels like, feels like Mel, uh, you know, what the, what's the old saying? Uh, that defensive backs are just former wide receivers that couldn't catch. I feel like Ty, Tyler Newbin is trying to prove the defensive backs can catch. You know, at the beginning of the season, I believe Minnesota and Nebraska played. That was week zero, right, if I'm not mistaken? So the college football microscope is shining that much closer on those games because there's only, you know, usually a half dozen or maybe a dozen games taking place. But I remember his instant impact in that first game reminded me that, like, defensive backs can catch on occasion. Newman, I think, a player who, as you said, second round range. I'll be curious, the like, the long speed there, Mel, right? Like, is he going to be a guy that if he loses a step on a wide receiver down the field, how adept is he at catching up and like making up for that gap between himself and the wide receiver? That to me will be an important part of his week in Indianapolis. Cam Kinchins from Miami, honestly, Mel, I just think he's sort of rock solid too, right? You, you laid out, you know, the, the big key sort of error in that game against George Tech, but it feels like he's just kind of checks pretty much every box at like a pretty reasonable level, had a lot of on ball production, had a three interception game back in 2022. 
played again, played opposite of James Williams, who looks like he's going to become a, a linebacker now uh, at the NFL level. But it feels like Ken Kenjins. No, I don't. I mean, I don't want to say safe. I feel like that's unfair to the player because it suggests that like the ceiling isn't that high. But I feel like the bus risk is pretty low for Cam Kenjins. Played a lot of football, done a lot of everything for Miami, and I just feel like kind of has the skill set that translates for basically any defense. Yeah, Ballhawk got 11 picks over the last two years. And you think about that ability that he's shown yeah. throughout his career speaks volumes. You mentioned as far as having that ability, that speed and coverage. You almost want now almost a four cornerback situation with your safeties. They got to be able to cover. They got to have range. They got to be able to anticipate. And he does that very effectively. A kid that also presents versatility is Jaden Hicks out of Washington State. You told me this morning, you're in Vegas. You're watching Brennan Jackson, pass rusher from Washington State Field. Jaden Hicks has the size, he has the length, and he has the ability, you talk about, to play multiple roles, wear a lot of hats in that secondary. You talk about deep, slot, box. He can do all those types of things. I like to see him be more of a short, open field tackler at times, but I think Jaden Hicks, the way he performed this year, the versatility he provides on that back end is going to be something that's going to attract teams maybe as high as the second round. I could see him being a top 40 pick now. He'd actually be my pick right now. If I were to plant my flag on my top safety, it would be Jaden Hicks from Washington State. I know our buddy Jim Nagy has talked about this, of course, the Senior Bowl director. And because of the amended rules that allowed underclassmen to participate in this Senior Bowl, Jaden Hicks is the kind of guy who could be in Mobile. And I'm sure uh, in future years, there's going to be all kinds of juniors all over the uh, various all-star game maps. But he talked about how Wisconsin, the game Jaden Hicks had against Wisconsin, I think it was week two of this past season, was maybe the most impressive we saw from any safety. And it certainly is on a very short list. I mean, he is all over the field, but it feels like Jaden Hicks might be the most versatile out of this entire group. Like, I believe Jaden Hicks, if asked, could play in a box safety role mm-hmm. and has both the willingness and the strength as a tackler to hold up and not be a liability where teams are saying, let's just run at Hicks every single play. Meanwhile, I thought he had the ability to get deep in coverage and hold up in the deep third of the field, either half of the field. You name the coverage, I thought he was capable of holding up. And then finally, show some like man-to-man coverage ability as well, Mel, right? Like that matters because while it's not going to be every snap where safeties are in coverage, yep. you think about the influx of tight ends right now, not just Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews and George Kittle anymore. You've got Sam Laporta's breaking the mold. David Njoku became an unbelievable player this year for Cleveland. Evan Ingram set the single season record for catches by a tight end this past year. All of a sudden, we've got like 10 or 12 really, really good tight ends. And I haven't even mentioned the guy who could be one of the best in short order in Brock Bowers as well. Safeties that can hold up a man-to-man coverage really, to me, are becoming more valuable than ever. And I think Jaden Hicks can do exactly that. Yeah, he can. Uh, Javon Bullard at Georgia, all we remember is uh, you know, that hit on Marvin Harrison Jr., which was at the end of the yeah. third quarter. And uh, you know, Ohio State was dominating the game. They got a field goal. They went up with a 38-24. Bullard, Harrison doesn't play in the fourth quarter. Ohio State doesn't have their key guy. Georgia comes back and wins that national title game a couple of years ago. But Javon Bullard certainly is a guy was a really good player for the Georgia Bulldogs. He'll be in that mix. And Cole Bishop yeah. and Sione Vaki, the other uh, you know, safety former running back who played both. I say former running, but he played running back and safety. And he was a running back. He was the blocking back for Najee Harris at Antioch High School back in the day. So that's a pull right there, Mel. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy you know that is going to find a role in the in the on day three of the draft. The other safety, along with Cole Bishop uh, from Utah, and I also I mentioned earlier field about corners safeties. I like safeties who have corner experience that played right. that spot. And Jalen Simpson from Auburn has played yeah. corner. And Jalen Simpson has ball production, okay? He's going to intercept some passes. He was a great athlete in high school, okay? This is a kid who was multiple sport guy, impactful at corner, safety. Those kind of guys, you sacrifice a little, you say, okay, what's more important, being that rugged tackler, that aggressive yeah. guy who's going to – in the NFL, now, you don't yeah. need that necessarily. don't even want it because it results usually in a penalty. So for yeah. me, a guy like Simpson, Jalen Key, at Alabama, formerly of UAB, is going to be another day three guy field. When we're in that fifth, sixth round here, we're going to be talking about a kid at UAB was a good one. Alabama uh, as well. He has the size, the length. To me, a guy like Jalen Key in day three of the draft, along with Baki from Utah, will be interesting guys to keep an eye on. Yeah, there's such an interesting mix. Cole Bishop, who I and, uh, I want to ask you about Javon Bullard. So remind me to ask you about Bullard before we uh, move on from this conversation. Uh, Bishop, the only guy that we didn't get into too much depth there, but 
he is Mr. Versatility, right? He might be the best. There's a couple of defensive backs that really come to mind, at least amongst the ones that I've studied now, that are the best blitzers in this class. Mm-hmm. Probably Mike Sanders still from Michigan, maybe the best blitzing cornerback. But Cole Bishop might be the best blitzing safety that I have seen. What I haven't seen from Cole Bishop as frequently, and again, this is not the player's fault. He's just doing the job that his coaches assigned to him, is I don't know how much I have seen from him in the back end, right? Like, are you going to want Cole Bishop running 25, 30 yards down the field or backpedaling? I don't know that I have seen enough of that to feel confident. That's the role that he's going to thrive in. But a player who can sort of dominate, like I thought his zone instincts were terrific, had some good on-ball production there, was a sack artist as well. I feel like uh, those kind of skills I know for sure I'm getting out of Cole Bishop already. Uh, I don't know, maybe, you know, I'm finding that uh, putting a grade on a player at this point of the process is important because people are interesting, but I'm also are interested, I should say. But when we're just two and a half weeks or three weeks from the start of the combine, I'm starting to remind myself that you get a little bit ahead of yourself, Mel. The next thing you know, you say a guy's a fourth or fifth round pick, and then he goes to Indianapolis and blows it up or struggles, and all of a sudden you're calibrating or recalibrating by two rounds. But I do think, as of this conversation, Cole Bishop might be like a, an interesting fourth or fifth round pick out of Utah. Listed a lot of guys there. Anybody else that we haven't covered amongst those safeties? Now, there's a guy's a one-point field about some of these safeties, and some of these guys will drop a little bit. That's why I brought up Jalen Simpson. I brought up Jalen Key yep. as guys. Vaki yep. from Utah. Think about this field. Now, I look at and all these guys were productive players, and that's the key. When you get yep. into day three, think about this. Geno Stone came out of Iowa, right? He had production. Yeah. He had wow. four interceptions of sophomore. He a nice year for the Ravens. He was a seventh-round pick, right? Kevin Byard had 19 career interceptions come out of Middle Tennessee State. He went in the third round. And Micah Hyde, fifth round. Jordan Poyer, seventh round, right? So, again, you've seen guys that were productive. Poyer had a heck of a career at Oregon State. Jordan Poyer had 13 interceptions his last three years. <laughs> Micah Hyde, eight interceptions his last three years. Those kind of guys drop until the later portion of the draft. Hyde went fifth round. Poyer went seventh round, right? Stone went seventh round. So you can at times. And what's the common denominator? is you have to have production, ball production. you yeah. got to get the interceptions, the takeaways. you got to have that. And if you had that working in conjunction with a guy who had a decent enough workout, the workout numbers have to be good enough. They have to be great. But when you can find a guy instinctive, that tells me, Field, diagnostic ability, awareness, anticipation, instincts, things that 40 times in workouts in Indy don't tell you, right? Okay, who can make Ooh, up for not yeah. having that 40 time? Who can make up for not having that type of athleticism? Who can make up for it? Guys that showed in college they could, okay? And those are the kind yeah, of guys, when yeah. I'm looking in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, I can usually find one of those guys that slips through the cracks that I go back and say, did they produce? Is I always say it, it's analytics. It's ana- it's, it's production. I don't care what you want to call yeah. it. In this case, it ain't like going to lie. Production in some yeah. cases doesn't lie. And those numbers yeah. speak for volumes about why those players developed in the NFL to be really good ones when in college they showed well, but still because of workout numbers, whatever, got lost in the shuffle and dropped into the later rounds. All right. I, your, your great points about production reminded me of a player that I specifically wanted to debate with you right now. That I think will be will be all over the map in terms of how teams grade him because his great strength is offset by some significant limitations. Kalen Block, USC now. If you were to assess how these safeties stack up in terms of the ability to play center field in the NFL, I think Kalen Block is the best out of any of the safeties in this class. I also wonder if the question was, if you're trying to come downhill and tackle a, a wide receiver and screenplay or a running back who's gotten between the tackles past the second or third level, Block might be a guy that teams say, I'm just not so sure I can trust him. He's probably under 200 pounds, even at 6'3", kind of an ankle biter as a tackler, right? The range is incredible. The tackling limitations, I think, are real, and the sort of the overall body armor are real. So where do you settle in on Kalen Bullock as a prospect? Are we talking about a guy that has top 100 upside or is he more like a day three pick to you? You know what, Field? There's some players you just say, I throw my arms up. I don't know. And he was one of those guys. Because if you look at my top 10 rankings, if you follow my top 10 positional rankings all year, I started in August with the top 10s, right? And every Friday, every Friday they were updated, as they will be tomorrow, right? 
Bullock was a guy that I had ran at eight, nine, 10 spot, wanted to bump him out, kept him there because you saw some things you like, you saw some things that bothered you. There, there are players feeling you're going to find this every year that you just don't know. And if you don't know, you usually don't take yeah. them unless they fall to a point in the draft where it's just too hard to pass up. But let somebody else figure it out. I, have, I haven't figured them out. I really haven't. There, yeah. like I said, that's why I kept them in that 8, 9, 10 spot when some had them a lot higher. I didn't see it. I didn't see him projecting into the NFL as that guy I could have in my top five safety. So I kept him around that 8, 9, 10 spot. Josh Proctor's another one at Ohio State. I kept in that general yeah. range. They Bo Braid from Maryland. Liked them some. Then there's some other times I was not as you know, impressed. So I kept him in that same general area coming out of Maryland. So I think there's a lot. There's some of those safeties in that, that back end of that top 10 that I just have not yet figured out. And the number one guy on that list is the USC safety you mentioned, Field. Okay, so nine interceptions over the past three years. You just mentioned production. He had five last year. He has returned two interceptions for a touchdown. But, like, you see it, right? Like, if the task was just to find a way to prevent big plays down the field, I think Kalen Bullock is probably as good as it gets amongst all these safeties. It's just that there's a lot more to the position beyond that. So I – I too, Mel, have struggled in terms of like placing a very specific grade because, again, there are teams that may say we have a certain type of standard in terms of like ruggedness and physicality that we require from our safeties. And there are others that might say, hey, we don't mind. Uh, This is not, I mean, they are not perfect parallels, but, you know, Marcus Williams for the Baltimore Ravens makes his money, Mel, right? As you know, because he's one of the best umbrella players in the entire NFL. Like, very rarely do guys get behind. Marcus Williams with terrific speed, whereas you've got other players around the NFL at safety that are probably more imposing run defenders than somebody like Marcus Williams. So one team might evaluate Bullock in a very different light than others. Part of the reason why sometimes this really is more art than science, at least I am learning that on the fly. And then am I higher on a Maryland player than Mel Kuyper Jr., Bo Braid? Mel, this podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. They, the Buckeyes, Ohio State Buckeyes, uh-huh. play the Maryland Terrapins this year, and Bo Braid's getting reps opposite of Marvin Harrison Jr. man-to-man covers. I'm surprised that wasn't enough to convince you. It was at times enough. And I'd see other no, instances yeah. where it wasn't feel so little inconsistency there. Uh, Bo Braid is a guy certainly has talent and ability, no question about it. At one point in time, I thought he could be a third round guy. And I still think he maybe yeah. could be in that discussion, but he's one of those eight, nine or 10 in that spot as far as safeties, because I look at it and I say, go backfield to one player that I kept always, I always check the box scores after games, right? Just always yeah. check it. And I kept saying a few years ago, read Blankenship. Every time they played Middle Tennessee, yeah. Reed Blankenship was up at the top with 16 tackles, right? Yes. 12 tackles. Every I'm talking about every game field. And this yeah. year, I watched Kansas, right? And every time I saw Kansas, and I checked Kansas's box store, Kenny Logan Jr. was at the top of that list. So he was. There's a kid, Kendaren Ray at Tulsa. Every time I checked Tulsa, this kid was off the charts. So it's something that it forces you to go back and look and evaluate yep. when you see production like that. So I'll, I'm going to go back. I got a lot of study to do of Logan from Kansas and Ray from Tulsa. Because I'm telling you yes. what, if you go box score after box score, week after week field, these guys were like Blankenship. Yeah. 12 tackles, 16 tackles. Everybody else had eight, nine. They were head and shoulders above everybody. Production off the charts. If that doesn't force you to go back to the tape, nothing will. 
Okay. All right. So a couple more sort of deeper sleepers to keep an eye on. Again, there's more depth than there is star power in this year's safety class, but I'm glad we had the chance to kind of vet it out a little bit now. Some really, really intriguing players and maybe, uh, you know, sort of the archetype that your team subscribes to could influence how and when they are drafted. All right. As we, uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, Mel, I have my first mock draft that will be out six days from the time that you and I are having this conversation right now. The rules are no trade scenarios, Mel, and that does make it quite tricky. I understand why you've been angling for more trades uh, than are currently afforded to us, but we wanted to sort of talk, talk through some like potential trade scenarios in the draft, maybe earlier on in the draft, Mel, and just sort of offer up some thoughts. At least my, the ones that I came up with, Mel, not super specific, a little more sort of like conceptual than they are specific, but do you want to start? Is there sort of a trade up or a trade down scenario that you think might be logical in the upcoming draft? I think the Detroit Lions moving up for a corner. Uh, I just I like that, that. Scream, screams move up. I mean, the Lions aren't far. I mean, they showed, hey, they should be right there. They could be in the Super Bowl right now, right? So they are a cornerback team. That's the need area, right? You think about what they yep. have in terms of guys they can move up. Ennis Rakestraw, Jr., Missouri, right? Quinion Mitchell, Toledo. If they see, okay, is he dropping down just a bit? Could we move up and get him? So I think those are going to be a couple names to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, when we get into where's Nate Wiggins from Clemson fall? You mentioned Cooper DeGene, guy. If, you talk about a safety net. If he's not a corner, he's a safety, right? So when I say yeah. you, 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 basically, you're not going to get a bust. You're going to get a guy who's going to produce for you. He's going to he's going to have a major role in your secondary. If it's corner, great. If it's not, he's a safety and he can cover and he's got range and instincts and he's going to test really well and he's going to be back from that injury right in time plenty of time so we're talking about a guy who to me should be a mid first round pick if he starts dropping a bit Kansas City, and certainly uh, for a wide receiver, the Chiefs could be a team moving up for the, the Lions, yeah. the cornerback spot. The Chiefs, I'll get to wide receiver. Okay. Good on Rice. Is there a receiver that they target that could be a guy that we don't want to wait to get? We have to move up and get. That could be Brian Thomas Jr. Could be somebody like that with that length to go along with him. Could be a guy, if you talk about moving down a little bit or moving up, Lad McConkey. If you're, if you're yeah. fearful, that the Bills or somebody else, because I think there's going to be teams going to be on Lad McConkey. Do you jump up three, four spots to get ahead of them? Okay. And that gets yeah. into don't have any discussion. Don't let anybody know what you're thinking because if a team gets wind of what a team likes and what a team likes, I remember the Eagles and the Bills back in the day with Lindsey Scott and Perry Tuttle. Remember that whole deal? Yes. Where the Eagles oh, yeah. were screaming, oh my gosh, we wanted Perry Tuttle and they moved up the Bills did to get him and we settled for Lindsey Scott. Well, guess what? Settling for Lindsey Scott turned out to be a heck of a lot better. He turned out to be a great player. Bills moved up, got Perry Tuttle, who was a disappointment. So when you look at where we are right now, we're seeing that movement there with Kansas City. Dallas, is Dallas going to move up to get a wide receiver to help out C.D. Lamb? Sure. Are they going to stand pat? What does Dallas do? Dallas could be a team going up to get. The Atlanta Falcons, yeah. at eight, I think they got to trade for Justin Fields. I, I think yeah. that's a trade you got to make. If you can give up a two and a four to get Justin Fields, and you got what Zach Robinson coming from the Rams and Sean McVay to be the coordinator, right? TJ Yates is going to be the quarterback coach, right? Raheem Morris no brings relation. Zach Robinson in. If I'm the if I'm the Atlanta Falcons, I'm going to make that move immediately. If I can, if I can get the the Bears decide to trade Justin Fields and draft Caleb Williams, and I can get him for a two and a four, are you kidding me, Field? I'm making that move. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, at some point, the Falcons. I, I, I here's what I would say: I agree on Mel. I agree on the idea that the Falcons can't mess around this offseason as it pertains to the quarterback spot, and either take a half measure and hope that it works, or say that we have so many great pieces around whoever our quarterback is that the play should be elevated. That hasn't been the case for the past couple of years. But John Robinson, Kyle Pitts, Drake London, those guys can all become stars in the NFL if they just had capable quarterback play around them. All right, I have two mail that I wanted to offer okay. up, and I'll start here. And this may be the kind of thing that sounds good in February, but doesn't matter once we get to April because there's just no way that it happens. The Denver Broncos have picked 12 right now, Mel. Right. You and I have talked about how quarterbacks are going to go a lot higher than where we have them ranked on our overall big board. But if the Broncos can find a way to maneuver back a little bit down the board, Mel, from 12 to 15, 17, 18, 19, somewhere in that range, and still take a first-round quarterback, that, to me, would make the idea of drafting a Bo Nix or a J.J. McCarthy or a Michael Penix Jr. more palatable. 
Denver enters the draft right now, Mel, with six total selections. Six. One of the fewest of any team in the NFL, and they're not getting any comp picks because they spent a ton of money last year in free agency. Moreover, they have no second round pick. They kind of need to like get the cabinet restocked a little bit. So Denver, if they can, I think would be maybe in a position to move back. Now, of course, the counterpoint in April is going to be you're too nervous about missing out on your guy. But in February, that idea sounds logical to me. On the other side of the coin now, and I want to hear both your thoughts on both of these. Sure. I've been thinking about the, the New York Giants a little bit more. The Giants have the sixth pick in the draft. You and I both feel like there's a very good chance the three top quarterbacks are gone by then. We also feel like that would be a pretty significant reach on whoever we decide quarterback four is by the time we get to April. But the idea of the Giants moving in from round two to the back end of round one to taking a quarterback to me is, to, I don't know about irresponsible, but it wouldn't be something that I would advise, Mel, but I've been thinking about this dynamic a lot this week that is in play for a handful of teams. When we are making our analysis of moves, we are suggesting moves that are sort of backed up by logic in an all things being equal scenario. As you know, though, Mel, not all these GMs and head coach coaches have time on their side. They may realize that we're one bad year away from not being in our current jobs in 2025. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that the Giants are in a make or break year, but when you go from 9-7-1 to that six overall pick in the draft, there's an obvious amount of pressure. And if you're the Giants, Daniel Jones has two neck injuries, ACL tear, obviously he's coming back off of that as well. Are you mindful of the possibility that if things don't go well this year with Daniel Jones in her center, we could be in trouble. So instead, you try to make the move for an, what you might view as an upgrade to one of those other quarterbacks. That, to me, is an interesting scenario. What do you think of those two trade concepts? Well, that's unpacked there, Field. You covered a lot of bases. And I think to start out with the Giants, I think the Giants, certainly wide receiver, the offensive line's got to be fixed. they got to figure yep. Evan Neal out. Where is Evan Neal going to have a major role in this offensive line? I think Guard, he played it at Alabama. That's going to be his role. So you think about adding that right tackle. Andrew Thomas is a heck of a left tackle. We know that. Yep. Bottom line is the line's got to be solidified. Okay, one way or another, it's got to get a lot better. Now, yeah. you think about Daniel Jones. I'm a Daniel Jones fan. I like him. I don't think it's through any fault yeah. of his, those things happened last year. They lost games. He got hurt. wasn't his fault. Yep. Two, the quarterback situation. Brian Dayball has got to get it done. They got it. They've had issues. Martin, Martindale gone. All those different things happening. Yeah, you know, a lot of you know conflict. That's what happens when you lose, right? That's, that's it's the a pressure line. year, Mel. I believe that. Yeah, yeah. So Daniel Jones, I think it's 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 his team. I think Daniel Jones, you roll forward with. You have the right quarterback. I believe. Just make sure you get the receiving entity you need. These fix the offensive line, right? Thibodeau's developing in terms of being a heck of a pass rusher. Start add pieces around him there. But I think in terms of a quarterback, I, I'd go for it with Daniel Jones. I'd maybe try to add one late, okay, and try to find somebody. Maybe a, I think Michael Pratt's got some talent at Tulane. It hasn't shown up. He's kind of been sliding down. People aren't enamored with him. When I say talent, he's not going to wow you with anything. But when I say on the field, with Tulane, and I watched him against USC and Caleb Williams two years ago in that bowl game. I like what I saw. Now, you say, okay, is he going to become this year's Brock Purdy and get lost in their shuffle? We'll see. I don't know. Yeah. But Michael Pratt gets into the later rounds because people aren't wowed over by any trait that is phenomenal. The talent of being a quarterback and getting plays done, beating defenses with his legs when he needed to, making yeah. nice throws under duress. I mean, to me, that's the kind of guy – that could end up being a, a later round type steal. Now, in terms of what you said about you know the Giants and, and the trade for the, I, I would like I said I wouldn't do it. I understand what you're saying. It's always that temptation. I wouldn't. Do, I think the best pick last year for me, and you know where I'm going with, it, was Will Levis. Well, the yeah. trade up in the second round to get Will Levis for Tennessee. I mean, you got to redraft. Will Levis should be in the first round. If you're going to redraft anything accurately, put him in the first. And forget about this QBR. It's nonsense. But in terms of Will Levis, Will Levis to me. It allows you to build around the quarterback. When you can hit on that second, third round guy field and have a franchise quarterback, 
and you don't have the money invested, Russell Wilson, third round pick, what did that allow Seattle to do all those years, right? So yeah. you don't have to invest. And Will Levis, a second round pick, you don't have to have that major investment in that quarterback, allows now Brian Callahan and Rand Carthon to build around that quarterback. So I think when you can get that guy and steal him in the second, third round, or even late, uh, you are so much ahead of everybody else in terms of building your football team. Okay. Yeah. So some interesting thoughts there. Again, I, I, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of things that like teams might be balancing in their mind, Mel, because of the various timetables that they are on. Right. And again, rarely do these things exist in what I like to call an all things being equals environment. But I just, I, I understand that there, I, I'm mindful of the possibility that there is pressure in New York right now. Um, and pressure can force you into interesting and difficult decisions. Conversely, in Denver, I think they would absolutely love to acquire more draft capital. And because of the fact that if they move on from Russell Wilson, their cap is going to be a mess this offseason, they might be forced into taking a quarterback in round one, even if they feel like that player is being drafted. A Let, few me spots. Let me they ask you a quick question. Where yep. do you think Drake May ends up falling in this draft? I think three is the floor, Mel. Maybe I'm totally overthinking it. Maybe, or maybe I'm totally misreading it. Um, it and, and, and you and I keep like apologizing for not like giving enough shine to Drake May, but like the kid's phenomenal, Mel. Right? He's six foot four, two hundred and thirty pounds, incredible processor, like down the field strike thrower, terrific football character, leader. It was a down season, but I hope that the NFL learns. From this past draft, and you mentioning Will Levis, who had a slightly down season in 2022, which led to him following, falling all the way into round two. Like, if the NFL lets Drake May slide, I think they're going to pretty quickly regret it, Mel. Do you feel differently? No, no, they, they certainly will because he got beat up by a bad offensive line. And, he, you know, he lost yeah. the, the offensive line. was just awful. It was Ole, Ole block after Ole block there, Kentucky. He got pounded and he was hurt. He was playing yeah. through injury. In terms of Drake May, Drake May lost his coordinator and his top receiver. And he didn't and he didn't have his other receiver coming and transferring in, Tez Walker, to after the first four games. And ironically, Field, when he didn't have Walker, his numbers were better than he did. And then he had some struggles. And we've chronicled all that. So I'm not going to rehash all that. But for Drake May, you just keep hearing, well, he could drop a little bit. I don't know how far he's yeah. going to drop, but you're sitting there, if, if you're Denver at 12 and you see Drake May get past New England at three, you're thinking, okay, you say move down. Am I thinking about maybe moving up? Now, like I said, they don't have the draft capital. They want to get, they want to acquire more picks, but it's not just Denver. Some other teams could say, hey, where's Drake May? If he doesn't go three, where does he go? So we'll have to follow that because we always have surprise. I thought Josh Allen was going number one a few years ago, not a few years ago, but six years ago, whenever it was. Baker Mayfield went number one. He was the third quarterback taken. It was number seven overall when Buffalo uh, saw him drop and traded up to get him, Field. So this yeah, always yeah. happens. Ben Roethlisberger I was the second highest rated quarterback. He went third. He dropped like 11 to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh just overall. sat where yeah. they were and let him yeah. fall. When Rivers and, and Manning, Eli went the top, right? Ben fell to what, 11? Okay. Pittsburgh didn't move. They sat there patiently and waiting, waited for him to fall in their lap. Is, is something like this going to happen every year? Like I said, I sat there the night before the draft field. I had Josh Allen projected in my mock 5.0, which is not going to exist anymore. I'm not doing any mock 5.0 in the morning of the draft anymore. They're <laughs> disgraceful and disastrous for me. Uh, you know, that I get down and everybody says, no, Josh Allen's not going one. It's going to be Baker Mayfield process. you got to be kidding me, right? Josh yeah. Allen's not going one. He went seventh. So, I mean, I, know, I didn't yeah. even know the night before the draft what the heck was going on here. So, yeah, Crazy, that's why right? I say, Field, could it happen? Could we be shocked, surprised, even the night before the draft, thinking we know what's going to happen and we really don't know? Uh, maybe we can. But Drake May is yeah. going to be the interesting guy because Shane Daniels is red hot. We know Caleb was going to go right there at the top. Drake May lost some of that luster, okay? The bloom was yeah. off the rose a bit based on what we saw late, late this past year, right? Where does he fall? I don't know. we got a long way to go to late April, but it's going to be interesting. And then J.J. McCarthy is the next quarterback. Where does he go? We talked a lot about yeah. J.J., right? Getting a, you're getting a real handle on him. Could you figure it out at Michigan? You couldn't because it wasn't yeah. him carrying that team. But he's got yeah. talent, and Jim Harbaugh raves about this guy. So Best JJ, quarterback in history. Where does J.J. J.J. fall? It's going to be a really interesting field. Yeah, Mel, it's, I mean, the quarterback four dilemma is going to keep me up at night all the way until we get to the draft some two and a half months from right now. But man, I'm just hoping, and I'm seeing this right now, like, like just whoever starts to overthink it that needs a quarterback at the top of the board, 
don't bypass Drake May entirely, right? Like there's so much to like about this player as a prospect, Mel, on top of everything that we have discussed. He's 21 years old, right? Like think about the developmental upside for a kid that played two years as a starter. Like he's got so much potential if you just put the right pieces around him to develop. I'm not I'm not talking about just wide receivers, like the right coaching staff to get Drake May to where he can be. Let me ask you a question, Phil, because you're in Vegas and you're canvassing yep. everything. You're talking to all yep. your buddies, you know, everybody in Vegas. You're the you're the man. You're, well, you're the radio saying, who's now? Who's now? Yeah. You have no you have not a minute to even have lunch or dinner, right? Okay. Uh, you can't yep. certainly do anything at the, at the uh, you know, any of the, the, the opportunities, the options in Vegas. And I'll get yep. into you know, mm-hmm. obviously you know, the gambling aspect right. of it. You're not you don't fool around <laughs> with any of that stuff. But in terms of the gambling part of it. When you talk about betting this game, gambling, betting on the Super Bowl, all the prop bets, prop opportunities that you have, and everything that's going yeah. on there, you know, around all that is a game that yeah. also allows people to talk. And everybody yeah. has word on what they think, what they don't think. Have you asked anybody out there what the consensus is on the Bears and Justin Fields or Caleb Williams? What are the people yeah. you talk to feel about the Bears and what their ultimate decision will be, Field? So, Mel, it is the third most discussed topic in Vegas this week. One is, you know, one and two are San Francisco and Kansas City and whatever order. There is no order there. They're tied for first, right? Then you have the Bears and what they will or what they could do with Justin Fields and Caleb Williams. I will say this. Other than Ryan Poles, the Bears general manager and his inner circle, everybody else is just guessing. But the most prevalent guess from people that are around the NFL, that are here this week, is that the Bears are more likely to facilitate a Justin Fields trade and then take a quarterback number one overall with Caleb, of course, as the, uh, you know, to borrow Vegas term, odds on favor to be that first overall pick. Okay. It's not that Justin Fields is, is a, it's by, he's far from a terrible player, now, right? This is, that's the reason why there will be a trade market for Justin Fields. And the hope for Chicago oh. Is, is to bubble up a market too, by the way. Where does is, is Atlanta? Am I is Atlanta seem like the obvious spot, or is there another team or two field that could do make a move for Justin Fields? So Atlanta is the team that everybody tries to dot connect with. So I'm going to keep their name in the hat, so to speak. The other thing that people talk about all the time, or have talked about this week when I've sort of canvassed options for Justin Fields, is they say Baker Mayfield can only sign with one team, Kirk Cousins can only sign with one team. Those are the two veteran free agent quarterbacks, Mel, that I think are worth whatever money they get paid, and there's not a lot of doubt. Those guys are starters. Once those guys are off the board, a bunch of other teams are saying to themselves, what do we do now? Like Pittsburgh has said they're publicly behind Kenny Pickett. Are they really behind Kenny Pickett? What do the Raiders do? Does Luke Getzey, their new offensive coordinator, formerly the Bears offensive coordinator, think that the problem in Chicago was actually Justin and not him? Or does he feel like, hey, Justin's got a really bright future. We can do this together in Vegas. Could the Raiders be an option? I don't think the Bears would be willing to trade uh, Justin Fields to Minnesota, or maybe they wouldn't be as interested in it. But if Kirk Cousins leaves Minnesota, do the Vikings all of a sudden want to make a play for a quarterback? All of a sudden, the market is going to shape differently, and you're going to have teams competing for very few options. Denver, what if they're saying to themselves, you know, I know that there's going to be a quarterback available at 12, but we don't think any of these guys other than Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels are worthy of a first-round pick. Teams are going to become more desperate once free agency has run through the initial wave. That's my sense of where people are at. Very good. The fascinating five, six, seven weeks ahead, Mel, and of course the draft. Just well, around I gotta the get, corner. I got to get. I, gotta get I, don't, I don't really have a handle on this game. I, I had Baltimore beating San Francisco back in August. So, you know, Ravens are out, 49ers, Chiefs. I'm surprised. Like I said, we talked about this field. You are taking Kansas City over the 49ers. What's, yeah. what, I'll go to this. You've talked there. Who are the majority of the people in, in Vegas that you've spoken to, field? Who do they feel is going to win this football game? I'd say the line that I'm hearing the most, Mel, is you can't really bet against Patrick Mahomes right now, can you? Even though Vegas is basically betting you, uh, begging you to do that. I'll tell you, here's my difference maker of the week on Sunday, Mel. Harrison Butker versus Jake Moody. We talked about that. I think, my, my pick for the game is 27-24. Harrison Butker, who had the longest streak in the NFL this season before he missed any kick, field goal or extra point. Harrison Butker 
is the edge that Kansas City has over Jake Moody, who big leg, talented kid, has made some big kicks this year, but also, as you be, you mentioned earlier, has been inconsistent. That could be the difference in a game that could be decided in the final minutes of it. Great point. With your deniers, you do not want it to come down to that field. You don't. Yeah. You just don't. And I, I look at this and I say the difference between quarterbacks and how they're viewed 50, 100 years from now, right? A lot of times it came down to a kick. It came down to Venetary in the snow to help Tom Brady. It came down to Harrison Butker after that 13 second got him in field goal range. He had to make that long field goal, right? Pressure situation to send it into overtime and the rest is history, right? Tyler Bass, Josh Allen got him in field goal range to tie a football game. Tyler Bass yards, missed yeah. the field goal. Remember the Norwood, right? All these different things that we remember, field goal kicks that made or didn't make determine the future of a organization, of a quarterback. Now that quarterback yeah. is huge. Like I say, 40, 50, 100 years from now. So you're right. Harrison Butker has been like, oh, I got Tucker here in Baltimore, Hall of Famer, right? Phenomenal yep. kicker. Yeah, Butker has been unbelievable in pressure situations. Got to admit. So to me, uh, you're right. If you're the Niners, you want to get that margin going where it doesn't come down to a field goal. Yep. Uh, it'll be a fascinating game, Mel. We cannot wait. We are always fired up for the Super Bowl. I hope everybody enjoys it. Mel, I like our Thursday shows a lot because we get to go for basically as long as we want. I think we're up over an hour on this show, but safeties and Chiefs. Hey, we're, we're, we're close. We're the now. We're close. Scenarios. <laughs> we're getting there. So uh, it's if people have made, if you're watching on YouTube, you may have noticed I've managed to drink a full coffee and nearly a full water here. It's early out here in Vegas, Mel. So I'm still getting I my touched caffeine. Mine yet. It, you know, it's still over here. It's still full. You know, well, you're I wired differently. Even had my, I even had my lozenger. I didn't need my lozenger today, so I got through it without a I without my bag in the throat. <laughs> Just in case, uh, Mel, you are the best. Uh, thanks as always for everybody who is listening to First Draft on the podcast or watching here on the YouTube channel. Tyler, our producer, big thanks to you as well. We'll talk to you guys again on Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern time on YouTube and 2 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2. America always wants more Mel Kiper Jr. We'll see you guys then.